0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 101, uh, or 101, you know, I I say 101, that's like unconscious because one of my favorite uh, albums in high school was Depeche Mode's uh, live album called 101. It's also a concert that I went to. Uh, Anyway, that's completely unrelated to uh, what we're doing. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host John White, AdBe Journeyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore. Hey Nick, how's it going? Hey John, I'm
1: doing great. I can't really think of any musical albums with a 101 in the title right now, but we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at NerdJourney. Ultimately,
0: we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. So today's our discussion with Randall Cook. He had some interesting things to say about making big career changes uh, that I remember. Um, I think a lot of people in IT can probably understand that, right? Like, sometimes we're faced with... uh, uh, you know, making a decision to, uh, move away from something, you know, a job or a position that we've invested a lot of time and effort into
1: hundred percent. And, you know, this example comes from a person who was very much into the architecture field and decided to walk away from it. But think about the amount of effort that he put in on his own time after that actualization of, I need to be doing something else for my health, family, career, and, you know, he didn't outright say it, but he did a lot of analysis of what his goals were and what his values were and what was important to him in a career and a life, much like the Mike Burkhart architecting your own career path. That's what it reminded me of.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, He also, you know, like ultimately, I think in the next uh, part, because of course, this is a two-parter you know we're going to get into a little bit more of um the the business he founded and and the career path that he chose which is a little bit more like holistic um health and food coaching um and wellness but um i think that you know ultimately if we think about walking away from you know intense investment in and in one career and and how that is analogous to like a lot of the our career decisions that we have to face. Like it, it's super helpful. I mean, ultimately for some people in IT ops, um, you know, what the, a totally valid career choice would be, I want to get out of it completely. So hopefully, you know, this might help, you know, people that are making a decision to go, you know, smaller choices, you know, maybe a different variety of it, maybe, you know, go over for a vendor. But also people who are thinking about, you know, completely leaving IT. Period. Or getting into it. Or getting into it. Yeah. Leaving, you know, that you're you've uh, been a lawyer and what you really do is have a passion for technology.
1: Yes, sir. And one thing he didn't call out, but there's actually a great title for it. You could tell that in that in this first interview, he dealt with something that a lot of us deal with, and that's imposter syndrome. In his <sighs> architecture career, he just didn't feel like he was competent enough and was just afraid to fail and ended up having to fail to really get through it. But I think we should just go for it, John. Let's go into it. Part one, Randall Cook.
0: Randall Cook, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast.
2: Thank you, John. I'm, I'm very happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Hey, um, before we get you know into the meat of the interview, can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis.
2: Sure. Um Yeah, you know, I'm a father and a husband. I've got two little kids that uh, certainly do their best to keep me occupied. Uh, <laughs> I'm a recovering architect, and now I'm an integrated wellness coach. Um, And so I I like to, the way I like to put it is, I like I help people live their best life.
0: Very interesting. And when you say architect, you're talking about like buildings, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh,
2: Healthcare specifically, but hospitals, ERs, clinics.
1: Oh, interesting. And when you say recovering architect, does that mean you go to like architects anonymous meetings or?
2: No, it means I try to stay away from it.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Too funny. Um, So what is the name of your wellness business?
2: Uh, It is Shield Wolf Wellness.
0: Ah, Okay. And we'll put some uh, social media links in there. And um, I should explain one of the reasons that we had you on was, you know, a couple different things. One, we wanted to understand that arc of um, working in one field and then making a transition to another because, of course, we're talking about career progression here. And I think probably a bunch of our listeners have interest in being an entrepreneur. So if there's any lessons that we can learn from you there, um, that would be great. And then we also want to hear about, you know, your perception on health and wellness, you know, and this uh, kind of work from home era, um, so uh, I think we'll get into that. But um, can you maybe jump into like that transition from architect to to trying to find something new? What that was like? What that you know what what sparked it? Maybe.
1: So Randall, you happen to be a friend of mine, so we we had a conversation a couple of years ago, and you had mentioned that you wanted to take your career in a different direction. So. I'd love for you to tell a little bit about that story for the rest of our listeners to hear.
2: Uh, sure. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. Um, I had, you know, I, I did seven years in college to be an architect, and I got a job and I worked at it for two or three years and um, had some health issues of my own and was working through those. But my wife also was having some health issues. And on top of that, um, the job I was at, I, I enjoyed the company. I kind of liked the work, but it, it could be really demanding. I mean, <laughs> the first three years, every time I took uh, vacation time, I made it up in my hours afterwards, catching back up on my work. So, you know, it, it was nice to have time off, but I paid for it later. And the way the company ran, they ran very lean on uh, manpower so that they could keep people employed even when things slowed down a little bit. But that also meant there wasn't anybody to cover your work. Um, and it was just a very, uh, high stress situation for me. Um, and so I also was seeing that if I wanted to progress in my career, which I did, um, I don't like sitting still. Um, It was actually going to take a lot more of my time away from my family. um, Which was already a struggle. And so I started looking for something else. um, And my first step was actually going to be um, not that far different. I was actually going to look into doing security consulting. Doing surveys and um, assessments of buildings and that sort of thing. And And I tried to network and find a way into that for about six months and nothing happened like i went to meetings and i'd meet people and then i finally got connected with one man um and i emailed him and he emailed me back and it took a couple of weeks which was kind of odd i didn't expect to hear back from him at that point and it was because he was traveling and that the the two things together made me realize that um, it wasn't going to be quite the change that I was looking for, <laughs> um, different field, but same problems. And so, you know, I started looking around, um, and, and it, it's funny cause I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. Uh, cause if you told me three years ago that I'd be having my own business, I'd say you were crazy. That was the last thing that I ever wanted to do. Um, <laughs> um never wanted to be my own boss. Uh, but I realized that if I wanted to have the flexibility in my life that I felt like was needed um, and was optimal, is that, that was the road I was going to have to take. Um, and like I said, I'd gotten sick and had some severe health trouble. And so I'd started, um, I'd gone to a few doctors, but they never offered me any, any real solution or even understanding of what was happening. And I don't really fault them for that. It was, It's not what most people are looking for anyway. I didn't want a quick fix. I wanted the real fix. Um, and so I just went out on my own devouring podcasts, really. And so an opportunity came up to do this online academy, which was a structured system through uh, the Czech Institute. And it came and I prayed about it because it, it was something that kind of aligned it aligned with my passion at that point, but I and it was a seemed like a good way to get a foot into the market and to the to the industry is because i I knew I didn't have any didn't have any education or background for it other than my own passion and I didn't really see people paying for that.
0: Did you say the Czech Institute?
2: Yes, sir. It's a C-H-E-K. It was started by a man named Paul Check, mm-hmm. um, And then he actually it, he used it to create an acronym for Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology. Um, and, and it really integrates movement and lifestyle. Um, it's it's a very integrated system. That's, that's why I went there.
0: Yeah, the, the human body is a connected system, right? So it's not like... Uh... It's not like you can just treat one thing in isolation you know the a lot of you have a lot of interconnected things and cause and effect and it's, it's funny how it works
2: it is the way i I like to think of it now is there's only one you so why do you try to split yourself up
1: <laughs> yep that makes total sense so you took all the classes online uh, you aligned with your passion and you mentioned that uh, you know, this particular entrepreneurship type career aligned more with your values of what was important to you, family, faith, not traveling, but still being able to do something that excites you that allows you to progress. That's what I heard. Yes. Yep, and uh, was the, the interest in the fitness more because that is how you helped yourself or was it more you had been interested in that even before?
2: Uh, uh, truthfully I wasn't much interested in fitness before I got sick (laughs) Um, I I never considered myself out of you know in bad shape but truthfully looking back I was Um, I remember in college to make up because architecture courses were always an hour they were like two hours or five hours so which is odd so I needed an extra hour in there every semester to hit twelve well the only courses that are one hour long are exercise courses Um, and I remember I took tennis, it was the only one open, which was a good class it's not really my uh, strong suit but they would have us run laps around the court and I would get, my legs would start hurting. I had terrible shin splints Um, I realized that if I had to run from somebody to save my life, I couldn't do it (laughs) um and it was just, there's there were different cues all along the way that if I knew what I was looking at, could have steered me off the path. But because I hadn't didn't actually stop and look at it, I just kept going until it became a crisis.
0: Actually, it seems, I, I want to take a step back. Can you tell me about that decision to walk away from the professional investment in being an architect? Um was that a something that you were passionate about, or something that you were kind of indifferent to? Like uh, when the the costs, you know, weighing against the costs to your um, your personal life, or or how was that decision?
2: That it was a complicated decision. Um, architecture was never quite a passion of mine. I kind of enjoyed school. I thought about quitting in the middle of it, just because it was so intense, though, uh, and it just and i i could enjoy it i to really enjoy it the way i would find it fulfilling i would have had to throw myself into it at the expense of my family um that was a big decider really
0: yeah i can i can also imagine that it's not exactly easy to just reimagine your career and say oh i want to do this job i just want to do it at a place that lets me like uh have better work life balance um it's like sometimes you can't just like magic up that position at a different firm.
2: Right. And I, I spent my entire career until I did take a, a contract job recently for a few months. Uh, that was a very different experience, but I'd spent my entire career. It was seven and a half years at the same company, um, with much of the same management and bosses and staff and coworkers. Um, and it was a very, it was an intense environment. Um, the company actually had a reputation as being a great place to learn architecture, but a terrible place to actually be an architect. <laughs> it was just very high stress. Um, like I said, they ran kind of lean uh, to make sure that everyone still had work. They, they, were, um, they were actually a bit of a scarcity mindset as far as that goes in many ways. Um, taking on little jobs that they didn't need to because they're afraid of turning down work, even though it did cost them the ability to successfully produce some larger projects. Um, and so, and I, since I'd spent so much time there, I couldn't really see myself st- moving somewhere else and stepping back from that intensity and still feel like I was doing the right job that makes
1: sense. Yeah, that almost sounds like the, you know how a lot of folks in technology feel. They feel like they're on a small team that's run very lean and they have trouble taking a vacation and not getting a phone call or as you said earlier, feeling like they need to make up the time because the work never stops. And it and it sounds a lot like the company uh, is not that different than some others I've seen out there, you know, they they take on more work because they think they need the work, but sometimes maybe focusing on your core competencies and strengths in higher volumes is the way to go.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's interesting because I, it, it kind of speaks to something that we've heard over and over again within technology, but I hadn't really thought about it being uh, something that was present outside, which is um, just being understaffed, right? Like the proper level of staffing is the level of staffing that you have where people can take vacations. And if they can't take vacations without having to like make up extra time later on, then you're not actually at that proper staffing level. You're at a level where it's, you know, well, it's just you're flat out <laughs> understaffed, right?
2: Right. And this company, because it was so intense, had a, a higher rate of turnover than some. And so I remember they were trying to staff up at one point, and it seemed like for every person they hired, one person would leave. Or for every two people they hire, three people they hired two would leave. And it was just incredibly hard for them to actually staff up.
0: That's it. Speaks to company culture, right? It's like, um, you know, treating the organization uh, as like the way you treat a human body, right? Uh, you talked about it already. It's like, oh, we're just going to change this one thing, and like nothing else is going to change. Usually, that doesn't work. Right. Like you kind of have to reimagine the, the system as a whole
2: right and they uh, the company I started with was actually bought out about four years ago now I think um, which has that was its own and very interesting journey um, merging they, they didn't want to replace the culture but they tried to integrate it <laughs> um, and it was it, it was interesting struggle
1: yeah that's a tough one now you mentioned you found the Czech Institute earlier so I'm assuming that you spent a certain amount of time studying up on that before making a change out of the architecture field
2: yes I was by the time that I left my job as an architect I had been in, doing the studies for 15, 16 months um, and at that point I had I'd gotten two certifications at that point um, as a holistic lifestyle coach and an integrated movement science, both level one.
0: So if, if I'm understanding correctly. Like during all this intense work time, you were also taking on additional study time (laughs) to uh, to at least like understand whether this was a a move that you should make, right? Because you have to support yourself, you have to support your family, but you also are looking for a new direction. So I I suppose that you know if the studying didn't work out, or you got you know thirty percent of the way into it and went, oh wow, this is you know, although to hooey, like then you could have, at least you could have walked away and, and then gone in a different direction. But, um, that does mean that you're taking on that extra. Right. Right.
2: And, and it was, it, it was a little over much, uh, quite a bit of the time, frankly, um, on top of trying not to take away all my family time, which was the whole point of the transition. Anyway, um, I, I was very blessed at the company I was at, um, and they actually, in March or April of last year, had let me go to four days a week, so 32 hours a week, as opposed to 40, so that I could have a little more space for studying and hopefully start the side business. Well,
0: wow, that's really understanding of them.
2: <laughs> it was. They were really hoping I wouldn't leave.
1: Yeah, it's not that easy to replace someone who's been with a company for a long time. You have so much knowledge of how the internal processes work and even if somebody was a very accomplished architect just walking in there, they'd still have to have a great deal of ramp time and how things work at the company, what the customer base is like. And.
2: Right. It, it probably would take about three months to get it accustomed to, because it's really funny. I didn't realize it at first, but, um, as a young intern architect, uh, you know, I'd been with a company like three months, they'd hired somebody who was an architect and he was asking me, like, how how do they do things here? I'm like, wait, don't they do it the same everywhere? So I, I realized then that each company is very individual. And so there is, no matter where how much experience you have or where what you've done, there's still that extensive onboarding, frankly. Um, because, you know, even the shorter projects, um, which were way too short, were like nine months long from start to finish. And that was extremely accelerated Uh, my last project was probably 13 14 months from start of project to end of construction
0: yeah i think uh, nick and i just had this conversation because i'm about um, a year into a new position and um, we were reviewing and i had in my discussion about three years into the last job you know, we, we had that discussion on Mike, and I was like, Oh, it took me about a year to get oriented. And then in this one year check in, I was like, Yeah, it took me about a year again. <laughs> so I yeah. don't think that's out of the question. Um, but, you know, it, it seems to me that, you know, you said you're a reluctant entrepreneur and you had the ability to go out and study about the, the kind of academic side, and maybe even, you know, because it's online. And you had you know your family around you could maybe get some uh, of the practical stuff in too um but what about the just the process of learning how to be an effective entrepreneur did you study that or was that all trial and error
2: well um they they did their the Czech academy has done their best to kind of give you an on-ramp for that so that you're not you know starting out flat out cold um but but it's been a struggle um this year especially um you know the the really the biggest thing for me is uh, I had a lot of history blocks that I had to overcome. Um, you know just just sort of deeply held ideas about things and about my own limitations and my own capabilities. Um, and you know people talk about getting out of your own way, and they make it. Sound like it's just something you can force, and it's really not. <laughs> um, that's sort of like saying, "Well, just float down the rapids." Um, <laughs> it's a lot of work, a lot of dirty work at times, and hard. And you can get pretty banged up on the way. And, but if you, you know, if you just like, okay, I'm just going to float down, you're going to get stuck on a rock. And that kind of happened to me at the beginning, honestly. Um, just trying to get myself organized and motivated because when you when you're telling yourself a story that you're not even aware of that you can't do this then you don't even start it even if you think you you're like yeah of course i can do this but if there's that story back there that you're saying that you can't you're going to do everything subconsciously you can to make sure that you don't do it
1: it sounds like a lot of (laughs) self-talk
2: I specialize in my own spells, self-talk, especially this year. I haven't seen many people this year.
1: (laughs) Well, I watched one of your videos on Facebook and you had mentioned some of the reasons why you, you like to talk about mindset and it sounds like you really had to make a big effort to change your own mindset during this process.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, that's actually one of the things I like about the check model is it starts with mindset. It starts with getting clear on what, what you want to do and why you want to do it. Because until you have that in place, I mean, you know, if you don't know what system you want to deploy for what purpose, it doesn't matter what stack of components you have. <laughs> it's not going to get you where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I mean that that has like a direct analogy in technology, right? If you just start going in and installing systems and connecting networks and doing random setup, like, what is what is the point, right? Right. <laughs> and to, to treat the human body like any differently, it kind of you know just you know it doesn't really make any sense. It's like you have to figure out the purpose ahead of time, and then you know it also it seems to me that like you can use that as motivation, right? If if something is important then you have to you know, revisit that importance on a fairly regular basis in order to stay motivated.
2: Right, exactly.
0: So how do you push yourself to
1: do something you're not sure you can do?
2: Well, um, first you have to decide how much you want it. You know, um, how vital is this to the life you want, to what you want to achieve? And then you also have to constantly remind yourself that failure is not bad. Um, that is that is a story that I struggle with daily. Um, I, I've been a perfectionist most of my life, um, a self-defeating perfectionist, because if you can't do it perfectly, why bother trying? Um, <laughs> uh, and so I've been having to learn um, over and over that it's okay to not get it right, that halfway is still closer than not at all.
0: This is a recurring theme on the Nerd Journey podcast: is the the idea of being, you know, a perfectionist or you know, used to being good at something, and when you're uh, faced with something that you're not good at yet, um, you don't want to do it because you're not going to be good at it at the beginning, right? So you you want to avoid that discomfort of not being good at it, and and that mindset and that like kind of. Pattern of behavior keeps us from trying new things or doing anything except what it is that we're one hundred percent comfortable with.
2: Right. It's funny. I remember as a teenager, um, you know, if there was ever something that needed to be fixed or something that needed to be done, I always felt like you had to have the exact right tools and the exact right pieces, or it wasn't, it wouldn't work. Um. And it, it, so that really made it hard for me to actually getting traction with anything because you never have the exact right pieces and the exact right tools at the moment. Um, And so I eventually sort of just had to adopt the MacGyver mindset is like, okay, what do I have and what can I do with it? And it it may not be perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And I also had to come to a realization, like especially, you know, with like cars is like mechanics aren't these um you know they're not car fairies they're just people who have learned a skill and i do have a very high opinion of my own abilities so if they can learn it i can learn it too but i think everybody has that ability with it to a great degree i'm never going to be a great mechanic but i can do car repair minor car repair at least um I don't enjoy it exactly, but I can do it. <laughs> and, and it's funny um, you know I, I did architecture for many years and it probably wasn't until the last two that I felt like I knew what I was doing or that I was good at it. but but that was me. and I eventually had to actually just acknowledge that my opinion of myself was actually wrong. I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, didn't feel like I was very competent, but everyone else around me was telling me that I was, that I was good, and I had to realize that my opinion was so biased against me that it wasn't trustworthy.
0: That's interesting, so I, I want to, you know, explore that a little bit. Is that something that basically haunted you? Uh, maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's a biased way of, of asking that, um, but did you see that pattern, like, throughout your life? Um, with other things that you tried or were interested in, like, you know, nothing met your standard and you didn't think that you were good at it.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, yeah, (laughs) I was never, it never matched the way I thought it should be in my head.
0: So you hadn't applied that MacGyver mindset to architecture?
2: No, not really. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> interesting so so everything had to be there and they had to be perfect in order for you to really want to move forward with a project
2: right well i i could keep things moving forward but i never felt i felt like i was always one step ahead of disaster like i for a long time thought i wasn't good at architecture i was just good at keeping things from crashing down around me until the end until after the end
1: it sounds like a classic case of imposter syndrome to me. <laughs>
2: uh, somewhat. And to be honest, it took some expensive mistakes before I realized that even good architects make mistake- mistakes.
1: Um, Absolutely.
2: But yes, no, in about the span of, or in one project, I cost the company twelve thousand, twenty thousand $20,000, somewhere in there which when that's half your salary is kind of sickening (laughs) you're like ooh, what and they still want to pay me
0: yeah you just don't know the margins on the job necessarily right so
2: right Uh, yeah at that point i had no idea of the numbers behind it all but still you know you're like you cost them half your salary so like surely you can't be that valuable right
0: (laughs) yeah i've become a little bit jaded when it comes to those kinds of things like it you know like sometimes I think like you know companies are like ah if we're paying people like like a small enough salary then then really what we're doing is we're building their mistakes into our budget <laughs> right like we're right. we're saving on skill skilled labor but um and maybe enough labor but you know we're accepting that some some mistakes are going to happen and some expenses are going to you know get incurred. That, that wouldn't happen if we were properly staffed or paying people the proper rate
2: right and you know i just realized i especially as people approached me after i made those mistakes and they the you know deal you know, it was a small company There was when i started there was like 25 people uh, you know most of the time i worked directly for one of the three owners and but all you know most of the owners came to me and like you know it, it happens to everybody don't don't stress out about it so i really appreciate that and as and as i got got more involved in projects and for you know more experienced and saw more of it i I started to understand i mean you can't be perfect 100 percent of the time it's impossible and so mistakes are going to happen and you just do your best to minimize them but you know we're all human
0: there's this idea um i came across in technology called the error budget that you're, you're budgeting for, for so many errors. And if you're not hitting your error budget, then that means you weren't pushing the envelope enough. And that if you are over your error budget, that means you're pushing your envelope too much. Um, so it's interesting. I, I wonder if, if that's, you know, taking that into account, you know, and transitioning to the new business, you know, that is something that, you know, you've kind of addressed or tried to address, you know, as an entrepreneur, like, Oh, it's okay to make mistakes. And if I'm not making any, then I'm not actually taking enough risk.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: Speaking of risk, how did it go
1: with the wife when you broach the subject of going out on your own? If you don't mind me asking.
2: Oh, uh, no, I don't mind at all. Um, you know, really, um, you know, I, I had a nice, <laughs> my, 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 my uh, job story is really the opposite of everybody. I got out of college, and I got a nice, safe job. Um, I got a raise every year, basically, without asking for it. Um, I worked hard for it, and they were just recognizing that, wanting to make sure I stayed. But um, like the idea of having to go ask for more money, I never had to do that at that job, which was you know, the opposite of most people. Um, but again, it was high stress. Um, Could be really long hours. I've pulled in this. uh, I probably about once a year, I would pull about an all-nighter. I would come, and once I had kids, I would come home for supper for like three hours, and then I'd go back up to work. And some nights I would get like three hours on the floor of sleep, and then put another day at work or half a day at work to get a project out on time. Um, And with my wife's struggling health, we it just it just wasn't working for us really. Um, and we both wanted something more for our family. Um, <laughs> one of the big motivations truly is my kids crying when I would go to work every day. Like every day. Um, they just didn't want me to go. They wanted me around. And like I'm like, this, this can't be right. This can't be the way life is supposed to be. Because it's not like I changed my job since they, you know, I've had had the same job with the same schedule since before they were born. So it's not that they didn't have time to adjust. So something so it was telling me that something was wrong. Something wasn't right. And and she agreed and you know, her family thinks we're crazy, but um she was 100% behind me. <laughs> Cuz in many ways being at that job was slowly killing me. <laughs> um and in many ways Um, emotionally and mentally, it was one of them, unfortunately, but there were also some physical things that were, you know, draining the life out of me. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, long-term stress is a killer. I mean, it's just flat out a killer, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And the, it turned out that the building they were in, when I started working there and they were there for, I was there for six years. Um, I was allergic to some of the air there. I think it was the same air that had been in the building since it was opened in '80 something. <laughs> <laughs> no opening windows, and like, uh, basically, at least once a year, the air conditioner would go out for a day. Um, it, it was not. It was not a good environment, and um, you know. I, and I have learned um, and continue to learn that sitting at a desk all day is not. My Happy Place, um, when they moved offices, well, even before they moved offices, but when they moved offices, um, we were all very happy because they got us uh, sit-to-stand desks motorized. Um, I had rigged my own sort of ghetto version with cardboard boxes when I got tired of sitting, but it was a lot of work. Because <laughs> um, those were I, it, we all around two monitors and they were very heavy monitors. Um, and but just you know, I I worked from about eight thirty to five thirty every day, um, and it was just but that and the stress and then for about a year I was traveling flying to Colorado almost every other week, um, which is its own special kind of stress on me, um, and I I scheduled those trips as tight as I could, um, which was my own mistake but I. Usually, I'd have a fairly full day, so I'd fly in the night before, try probably land around 10 o'clock at night, get to a hotel, get up, and get to a job site by 8 in the morning, uh, go from one job site to another, usually hit 3 or 4 in a day, and get like on a 5 o'clock flight home.
1: That's a packed day.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. rough.
2: Yeah, looking back, I really should have spread things out a little bit, but... <laughs>
0: Plus plus the altitude change, right?
2: Right, and most of the projects were in the Denver area, and it is very arid there. Um, And so I'd be drinking water all day long and still feel dried out.
1: Yeah, it's hard when you're traveling like that. I know that not that many people have to travel for their job these days. I know it still happens for sure, but it is hard to stay hydrated on the road because when you're bouncing from meeting to meeting to meeting, you have to make sure you have water with you, and then of course you have to stop and use the restroom, and it can be inconvenient. But it, like you said, if you don't stay hydrated, then it's gonna it's gonna make you suffer.
2: Right, uh, I, you know, I, my wife um, does her <laughs> took the best care of me. I'd let her basically, and uh, she actually bought me a little uh, humidifier USB powered humidifier that would go on top of a water bottle. Um, and she also introduced me to the trick of taking, like, when you're in a hotel, you take like the hand towel or you in a big towel and soak it with water, wring it out so it's not dripping, and then you lay it over half the air conditioner vent, and that'll put air water back into the air.
0: Right, because air conditioning not only is the air already arid, but the air conditioning dehumidifies as part of the process. So you're you're getting a double whammy there. Yeah. That's it. I don't think I ever learned that trick. <laughs>
2: It it really did help with my sinuses on those trips.
0: Yeah, I've definitely spent some uh, nights in Colorado and in Vegas too. You know where it's pretty arid, and it's like, geez, you just you just kind of take it for granted that like your body's going to take a hit, but maybe you don't need to take it for granted. Well, in Vegas, you get special smelly air. <laughs> it, it smells uh, fancy. Oh, you're talking about like the scents that they add mm-hmm. yeah, to the um, casinos and whatever, the casinos that you have to walk through when you're at a convention? Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes they, they allow smoking in those places too. It's just, um, triple whammy, I guess. All right, and we have to take a break and call that part one. Um, listening back to that, I think something I forgot was Randall's thoughts and experiences from deciding to become his own boss, You know, to become an entrepreneur, to, to start a, a business. Um, that's definitely something that IT ops people can think about as a possible path forward, right? Starting like a consulting business or kind of becoming like a, a contract consultant Um, You know, working on other people's projects, um, you know, as a 1099 contractor, you know, something along those lines. So, um, you know, yet another piece of uh, analogous um, experience that uh, it was interesting to find, like, you know, uh, a bunch of stuff from a guy who wasn't in IT ops, um, but making me think about all these like IT and technology career stuff. And speaking of starting your own
1: business, you know, this reminds me of what Tom Delicati did, yeah. our first, first person that we interviewed on the show back in the early teens. And I liked what Randall had to say about this MacGyver mindset, as he calls it. What do I have and what can I do with it? And we oftentimes just really don't take inventory of what we have to offer an employer, ourselves, our families. Take all that together, and then figure out what you can do with it. Yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah, definitely. It also reminded me of some of the analysis that uh, that Ashley Connell went through when before she started her business. Yeah, very cool. Um, anything else before we get out of here?
1: I'll just highlight that significant effort, that extra time that he put in studying his you know second discipline that he had to learn while he continued working because you have to eat your family has to has to be able to to maintain its standard of living and he even went down to 4 days a week working i thought that was a very interesting idea and thankful that his employer was was able to accommodate that
0: yeah it's like the tech equivalent of going out and getting like a high level certification in a different you know area of technology while you're continuing to do your day-to-day job uh, before making that big switch and and looking for something or starting a business in it
1: absolutely just a reminder we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening we want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder we're collectively on twitter at nerd journey
0: all right farewell listeners tune in next time as the journey continues i'm john white at B journeyman for nick cordy at network nerd underscore signing off adios